Thursday Arts Preview receives support from Boo Radley's Toys, Books, and Gifts for the Quirky Minded, and Atticus, the coffee shop and gift store for the grown-up lurking within, both on Howard, across from the carousel, in downtown Spokane. Welcome to the Thursday Arts Preview, where the P is parenthetical. I'm your host, E.J. Ionelli. Breaking into any industry can be hard, but it can be especially difficult to navigate the layers of the music industry. That's why one music advocate is looking to give local musicians the edge they need to break out of the region and onto the national stage. We'll have more on that in a bit. This weekend, the acclaimed production of According to Coyote is heading to the Panada Theater in Sandpoint, Idaho, as part of a fundraiser for the Idaho Mythweaver and their Voices of the Wild Earth series, which we've featured here on KPBX. According to Coyote is a monodramatic piece, meaning that it's performed by a single actor. In this case, it's the Nez Perce actor Kellen Trinal, who has been involved since very early on with the recent revival of this show, which retells the Nez Perce creation myth and other tales through music, dance, and performative storytelling. Juan A. Moss is the producer of According to Coyote, and I spoke with him about the show, its history, and the success that it's experienced ever since this new iteration was launched by the playwright's niece, Josephine Keefe, almost one year ago to the day. No, it's a beautiful family story, actually. So it starts with her uncle, uh, John Kaufman, decided that he wanted to do a a show to help the younger generation. This would have been like in the um, late 80s, early 90s, to connect with their tribal stories of coyote and to a level where that they would be more engaged by them. Uh, so he created this piece. Um, he started touring around with in the Pacific Northwest. Then um, I think he even toured it back east. He was at the D.C. Um, then he landed in Hawaii and was living in Hawaii doing the show there. And that's where he passed away. Mm. Um, but his sister Carlotta, Josephine's aunt, also toured with it. And about that time, Josephine, I think she said she was just towards the end of middle school or beginning of high school when she saw her aunt do it. Um, so it was something that's always been in her. She wanted to bring it back when her aunt stopped doing it. it uh, that's when it kind of like ceased to be existing. But Holland um, uh, New Children's Theater, John gave them the rights to use it any time that they wanted to because um, he was one of the, I believe, the artistic director at one point over there. And um, Josephine's passion has always been about bringing it back, and it was kind of a dream. Um, now that kind of brings us to the present where in, towards the end of 2022, Josephine and I have collaborated on a lot of stuff, but she's always been the one who's convinced me to direct things and she produces. And when I knew she told me she wanted to do this about her uncle's play and direct it, I'm like, you have to let me produce it for you. And that's how I jumped in and come on board. And it's, it was fantastic. We collaborated with Red Eagle Soaring from the West Side. So it's a Native American uh, youth performing program. So there's a lot of training there for them. So we had our assistant director was from there. Our set designer was from there. And so we gathered a group of people, which I'm proud to say, except for, I believe, three of us, everybody else was Native American. Um, Julia Keith, Josephine's sister, did the sound and the music design for it. And... 
and it was just kind of phenomenal just like as a producer it's just like it was really a kind of show where like i could just step back <laughs> and let it be because um, i imagine i mean even when i spoke to josephine earlier i she just said that people were so jazzed about this piece that it wasn't hard recruiting folks Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think, and especially if, if you're from the tribes, it was a lot of passion from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll be honest, the general public's response, there are two responses we get with the show. Obviously, my favorite shows is when it's packed with the tribes are there and they get into it and you get the elders laughing at the inside jokes, the older jokes, you get the kids hollering. Um, and there's a my favorite section is when when he cuts up the monster and he starts creating the different tribes from the pieces of the monster and how each tribe gets mentioned and you start hearing the hollering and the room just gets louder and louder. Uh, Those are great. But the general public as a whole too has really been excited by the show. And the night at the pavilion when we did it free for the general public, I mean, we had to pull out more chairs and we had like 250 chairs out. And I had to put out more chairs. Same thing when we did it at the Mac. People showed up. And we've been getting a lot of calls um, for encore performances and touring performances for special events and stuff like that now. Yeah, and there's two things that I want to address. And one is when you say he cuts up the monster, we're talking about Coyote in the theatrical piece. But we're also talking about Kellen, who embodies this character. Can you talk about Kellen? Oh my God, he's an amazing performer. Um, he has a he comes from a deep dance background, and his control of body and voice and stuff. Uh, like I just finished a, a Zoom call first. Someone's asking us to do the show, and we were talking about they were worried about how technical heavy we are, and the show was designed by Josephine to be super simple, where it's just a storyteller and a bunch of stage boxes, no lights. Uh, just a little small PA for some sound effects, but it's all about Kellen telling that story and how he embodies it, how he physically plays all the different roles. And the poor guy's got like three layers of costumes because he peels them off as the (laughs) play goes on, but he's just vocally, physically, and emotionally connected to this piece. And Josephine and I were just talking about that the other day, how it's been wonderful to have a show run so long because it has now become really his show and it's every show is there's a new tweak. I see a new tweak that he adds, and I'm like, oh my god, that's brilliant. I like that, you know. And he plays off the audience a lot, so it's a very um, organic piece in a certain way. That if the audience is really way into it, he he gives more to them, and it goes back and forth. Uh, but it could just be him and no box units, and it still would be phenomenal. And that ties in, I think, to the second component, which is the reception that this piece has had because. I remember when the revival first came about and there were a couple of performances that were scheduled. And then the comparison that comes to my mind is Passover in the longevity of this piece and the reception that it has enjoyed because there was that initial revival and then it just kept going and the momentum just kept up and you started seeing this production, you know, it was taken to the west side, it was taken all over and now it's coming to Sandpoint. So yeah, it really has had this life beyond the initial revival in a way. Yeah, it surprised me as well because we talked about the potential of taking it to some spots and one of the first things we did we did apply for a saga grant, which we got, which we were able to take it to rural communities. And particularly, we were focusing on taking it to 
the reservations in certain areas that don't normally get this production and being able to pay for it fully for us to take it out there. Uh, we had a whole tour that we were able to help fund part of the Columbia Basin and touring that through middle schools. So that I assumed, but then we started getting phone calls, you know, and you get the calls and it's like, oh, first it was like for the next press Christmas party for the casino employees, seven performances, and then the word gets out and then all of a sudden we're going down to Pendleton. But then we're also going down to writing groups down at Fish Trap. There's a whole storytelling writing group down there that brought us down there twice so that it's expanded beyond what you would think it would just be a cultural presentation to just like storytelling kind of more of the origins of theater, really, in a way. Um, the standpoint, we're excited to bring it up there because it hoped to help that storytelling organization up there. And we just recently also got invited to the Smithsonian National American Indians uh, Museum in D.C. That's incredible. And we're going in February. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a, like a three-day performance. It's going to be primarily focused to schools, and they're going to bus them into the, to the museum, and we're doing that, yeah. Besides live performances, one of our hopes is to actually archive Kellen's performance. And we've partnered up with KSPS um, about doing a live recording of the show. And the fact that it's going to D.C., I would assume that Josephine and you must be pleased about this because in a way it's replicating the success that it enjoyed all those years ago when it first originated. Totally, yeah. I mean, it feels like it's almost echoing the same path, mm -hmm. right? A new performer, new group of people behind it. And, and we're excited to see what you know what that might bring. Yeah, I was going to ask what's next for According to Coyote, but it sounds like you already know what's next. You know, the, the sky's the limit. Yeah, it's just, we're going to take it as far as we can. For me, coming from the you know my traditional video and film production stuff, I really want to get it archived, and we want to do like a traditional kind of like the you know like national theater kind of presentation, so it can go through the school systems for educational components plus. It spreads the uh, wonderful performance that Kellen's doing, plus it continues sharing the story across the nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Juan, thank you so much for coming in today and talking about this. I mean, it sounds like really exciting times. It is. It is. That was filmmaker and director Juan A. Moss, who's also the producer of the 2022 revival of According to Coyote. According to Coyote comes to Sandpoint, Idaho on Saturday, October 14th at the Panada Theater as part of a 35th anniversary fundraising event for the Idaho Mythweaver. More information on the Idaho Mythweaver is available at mythweaver.org and you can find ticket and show details for this weekend's performance at panada.org. In Spokane, the exhibition Life and Time by the Southern Washington artist Tracy Petra Walker is entering its final week. The exhibition has been running at the Spokane Falls Community College Fine Art Gallery since late September, and it represents a fairly large collection of Walker's work over the decades. It features colorful icon series that incorporate symbols pulled from current events, as well as vivid variations on visual themes. I talked to Tracy by phone about her work in general, as well as what viewers can expect to see at the Life and Time exhibition specifically. The exhibition as a whole has kind of been developed over the years. And so it's a body of work that uh, explores themes of mainly social concerns. So it's about what we all go through, whether it's death, there's images of death, there's images of birth and 
images of menopause. You know, I'm 55-year-old female, and so as I go through life, things change. And so at one point, I bought a house, so a lot of imagery of home might come up. But as my life has progressed, I go through my own life, certain events, and so those things kind of reoccur. It can also be images of um, things that are happening in the news. And so, of course, on my poster, you will see the uh, tend to your own garden with a uterus image on the front. And that's kind of exploring the theme of the right to choose and having that taken away. And so there's a whole series of walls of that particular image So there's that relationship between my personal and also kind of a public connection. Yeah, one of the recurring images that has been (laughs) used in a lot of the promotional work is this image of the the uterus with the fallopian tubes. And it is just the, the outline or the silhouette, and that contains some sort of imagery within that. And as you had mentioned, there's the tend to your own garden that's gone out on the postcard. But there are also other ones that have different color schemes and different imagery within them, and they have different sayings as well, like the path is mine, for example. So right. is this image kind of the cornerstone of the exhibition, or is it simply the most arresting? Probably the most arresting. You know, it's one of the most recent. Now, in terms of the piece itself, I think it speaks to the here and now. And so it became one of the major wall pieces. And so then it became the postcard. But it's not the only thing that's explored in the show. So there's many other pieces that are based off of different ideas. Like, for instance, across from that piece in the show is a series of seven bombs, which are based off the deadly sins. So it's connected to the uterus series because there are nine uteruses on the wall, each with kind of different imagery within each one. And then when you look across the way, there's also a series of seven bombs, each with imagery upon each one that deals with deadly sins. So when you look on the outside, it may give you the sin. And then when you look on the inside, it'll relate to... Uh, the possibility of what that sin may lead to. So it's, yeah, so not all the pieces are based off of that particular theme. There's a lot of different kind of themes that run through, but because repetition's used a lot, it holds it together within the show. Yeah, in your own description of the work, you say that the pieces become a puzzle and it's incumbent upon the viewer to interlink them and interconnect them. But surely you as an artist, as you just mentioned, you have this connection between the outline of the uterus and the bombs. Um, What are some other pieces that you hoped to link thematically or just simply visually? For sure, I think color altogether integrates the overall piece. I tend to be a colorist. I love color. And so the vibrancy of the color connects through all of the pieces. You will see probably reoccurring subject matter. I tend to focus on birds because birds can symbolize different things to me. And so the bird image pops up a lot. Uh, Landscaping pops up a lot. Part of that is just who I am and where I grew up and what I appreciate. So I really kind of grew up outside of town. We like grew up on a field area. Um, So a lot of times you'll see some crossover of image, 
but like the bird may symbolize one thing in one piece, but something totally different in another piece. And, you know, as we talk about some of this uh, symbolism and some of these <clears throat> images and some of the themes that arise, there's also the medium itself. There's the, the medium in which you work. Now, how have you gone about actually creating these pieces? So most of my work, for the most part, I'm a very heavy gouache user. And so if you don't know what gouache is, gouache is an opaque watercolor. It's a watercolor that's very flat. And so I've gotten to really jump into that within most of my paintings. And so if they're on paper, they tend to be gouache. Now, a lot of times when I'm doing the constructions on the wood, gouache doesn't work well with wood. And so I've moved to acrylic. So for the most part in the show, you will see pieces that are on paper and then those that are acrylic on wood. And where does this exhibition represent where you are as an artist and as an individual? Because obviously you've shown for many, many years, how does this represent where you find yourself right now personally and and artistically? I think there were so many pieces that I've never seen together. And I had done a series called the Icon Series because I am a professor at Columbia Basin College And one of the classes that I've been teaching for the last, oh, it's got to be well over 25 years, is art history. And so I'm very influenced by the connection of an icon. And instead of using a Christian-based icon or a religious icon, I was exploring things that we tend to worship in our own cultures. It might be cigarettes, or it might be food, or it might be sex or it might be money or oil. It's all these things. So I created this series of icon pieces, and there's approximately 10 of them, and I'd never seen them together. They've been shown separately, but I've never had a chance to actually put them in the same space. And so being able to see these things together and read them as a unit, and then also having different sections of pieces that relate to each other because there's also altarpiece type pieces where you open and there's some interaction with opening and closing doors. Being able to just see all of that in one space has been really just wonderful. And then what I found even more interesting is once they're together to just look around and see that there you don't realize you have some commonalities in all of them through whether it's subject or whether it's the color or even the ideas that keep floating through. It's just been nice to see all that work I've done speak to each other together in one space. And then finally, there is this artist lecture on October 19th. What will that involve? Are you simply going to talk about this exhibition or are you going to talk about your life and work or are you going to talk about another topic altogether? I think it's probably going to be an overview of kind of my life and work. I have some older pieces I was going to bring in and and show as well, and some other pieces that didn't make it into the show. I was also going to discuss my process with gouache and what I do to make it work well. And so I thought some people might be interested in the gouache process, so I might discuss that. Oh, cool. So it sounds like there will be some conceptual topics as well as some technical aspects. 
Right, right. Because I didn't want to just recap what you can already see down there. I want to bring something new to the lecture. Cool. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for taking the time out to chat about this today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, EJ, and I do appreciate it myself. It's great talking to you. Artist and Columbia Basin art history professor Tracy Petra Walker there, talking about her exhibition, Life and Time, which runs at the Spokane Falls Community College Fine Art Gallery until October 19th. That same day, Tracy will host an artist lecture and a Q&A on her work on the SFCC campus. For more information, visit sfcc.spokane.edu and look for the art gallery section. Our last segment in this episode is also our final interview profiling this round of Spokane Arts Grant Award recipients. And this interview is with Riker, a music advocate and founder of the artist management company Have You Heard Live. Her organization received SAGA funding for the You Ought to Know panel series, which is modeled on KEXP's Mastering the Hustle sessions. It aims to give local musicians insider knowledge about how to succeed in the wider music industry. When I talked to Riker recently, I asked her to recap the history of Have You Heard Live and explain how You Ought to Know grew out of that. Yeah, I mean, Have You Heard is our production company. Uh, We've probably had it since 2018. It was a group of us, Brayton Dawson, my business partner, um, and then Chris Gray was there. He was like our content creator. Um, And then I don't know if you know who Matt is. He kind of works in the conglomerate of the IMB parks, like the pavilion, um, in a in an arts kind of way. Sort with, the, of. with the PFD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, it's for uh, shows that kind of come through there. So um, anyways, all of us decided that there was just this large gap between local shows that were done at like a really high production level, as well as bringing in like mid-major uh, artists that were from other cities and collaborating them with local talent as openers and just putting on like stronger stronger shows and so that was kind of the original concept and and dream and as Spokane does sometimes it can uh, be a struggle to continue the live performance concepts going here you know and so I think that Spokane at times can struggle to support live music and so anyways long story short we adjusted have you heard um and really just made it a staple for really strong local curation um so we just put on um all of the django shows up until the end of 2022 um we did the farewell show at the bartlett we did the farewell show at lucky you We've done a couple festivals. One's called VFS. We collaborate um, with some local uh, Spokane orgs, and it's just designed to uh, do like kind of a free all ages fun thing that encourages people to come out and actually vote. Um, and then we also did uh, in 2022, we did a music festival called Lucky Fest. Uh, it was at Lucky You. It was two days. It sold out. It was phenomenal. It was multi genre. Um, then have you heard kind of ventured into workshops? Um, networking nights, panels, a lot of education. Um, And so, yeah, Have You Heard is the collaborator on this new thing that we get to roll out. Thank you to Why We're Here, which is the Saga Grant. But um, I'm super stoked 
um, that I was able to win the saga this year and bring this idea that we've been actually curating and crafting since like 2019. So, uh, yeah, soon Spokane, no official date yet, but soon we will be rolling out our new project, which is called You Oughta Know. Um, and You Oughta Know is a panel-based educational series. Um, I'm actually so excited about this. We are going to be collaborating with not just community leaders, but like industry leaders across the Pacific Northwest. So we're going to be flying people in from different markets. I don't want to get too specific, but definitely some people from Seattle. Um, we're hoping a couple people from Portland, um, Boise for sure. Uh, we're going to bring uh, all this talent, all these um, amazing industry leaders that I have met and created relationships with over the last half decade to you know seven years of eight years of doing this as a career and I just was like man I'm where I am because I've learned from these specific people um so yeah that that's kind of what what you ought to know is and uh it's really cool to just kind of start seeing it develop and is it largely music education or is it going to be cross-disciplinary where you're going to have artists from all different fields yeah, so it's definitely for the music industry. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> there are some things that I've done in the past that are very much like all discipline, but this is for the music industry. And I guess that the topic titles will give us some indication, but what are people going to get out of these workshops? Man, I hope a career worth of knowledge because that's what I got. I want to bring some of the most intelligent, forward-thinking people that are in my network to talk about what is going on in the modern day industry right here, right now? It's going to be things like your sound and your performance as an artist. So how to make sure that you've advanced yourself to recording the way that you need to and your performance is strong and has all the necessary pieces that are really going to wow the audience and, and grow you that fan base. Um, we're going to talk about how to like build a music brand or different things like promoting shows. So my favorite topic, I think, as being a manager that we're going to dive into is self-management versus representation. That week is going to be a huge week for people because I know everybody wants to talk about getting a manager, and that is for some people, but self, self-representation self is big as well. So that's just kind of an overview of, of some of the general uh, topics that we're going to discuss. But then we're also going to have a section of Q&A. Like, I want to hear from the audience, um, you know, what actual question do you have that is relevant to your career? And these four or five extremely intelligent people are going to be able to sit there and answer it. I think the other exciting part is that it's completely free to the public and it's all ages. Um, those were two, like, huge criteria. I, I do workshops that I charge for. Like, we've done that and I, I bring those to the table when they are needed. Um, there are some times where... Certain forms of education need to have a ticket price to them. You know, everybody, just like an artist wants to get paid to perform, the people that are giving you that education spent years and probably, I know myself, spent thousands and thousands of dollars gaining the information. So, of course, there's a ticket price on the panel or the education that some people are putting on and, and sometimes what I put on. But you ought to know is completely free, all ages, and going to be in the middle of the day on like a Sunday or something. But, um, yeah, that's that's the goal. It's going to lay out um, once a month for a series of months in a row. And then we're going to probably take a gap for like a holiday break and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll bring a couple more. 
Um, and they'll be on Sundays and they'll be free and they'll be all ages and they'll be for you if you're in the music industry and want to do more than casual local shows. Excellent. Riker, thank you so much for running us through this. I mean, it sounds really exciting. I feel like you're super excited about this too. Man, I am more than excited. I'm so passionate about this. Like (laughs) you guys don't understand, you know, like my schedule has been split really heavily as I continue to develop and grow. And I've been in Seattle and I've been in LA and I've been trying to like find a way to stay connected to my community where I'm from. Like I'm born and raised in Spokane. So what happens here matters to me because these are my people and it's my, I feel like it's a part of my responsibility in the role that I play to make sure that other artists have a chance to make it out of this area. And that can be hard to do and a lot of pressure sometimes. And I was finding myself kind of like fading out and fading out and fading out. And I was like, man, I really, I need to just like connect to a root again back in the city. And um, this is just a blessing to be able to, to do this. And it's a beautiful thing to see it finally like flourish. That was Riker, founder of the artist management company Have You Heard Live, which received Spokane Arts Grant Award funding for its You Ought to Know panel series. You Ought to Know is designed to bring in music industry veterans for workshops and discussions that give aspiring musicians a leg up. For more information on Have You Heard Live, their website is at haveyouheardlive.com. And for additional details on Saga funding and how to apply, visit SpokaneArts.org and look for the Saga Grants tab. This has been the Thursday Arts Preview, a show that keeps an eye on the past, present, and future of the art scene throughout the Inland Northwest. Subscribe to the Thursday Arts Preview podcast on major platforms like Spotify and Google and Apple Podcasts. For Spokane Public Radio, I'm EJ Ionelli. Thursday Arts Preview receives support from Boo Radley's Toys, Books, and Gifts for the Quirky-Minded, and Atticus, the coffee shop and gift store for the grown-up lurking within, both on Howard, across on the carousel, in downtown Spokane.